Hello and welcome to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site's staff together to discuss our favorite genre of video games. Last week, I had the pleasure of introducing a crowd of six names when we were uh, here to meet up. Uh, this week, not quite so many. There's only three of us here today. My name is Brian Vitale. I am joined by James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Josh Torres. Salutations. So we had a surprisingly busy week this week. Uh, mainly because of uh, one surprise Nintendo Direct. It's funny how we don't even have like a week to look forward to those things. It's literally like dropped, announced, and then discussed within the same week that it came into existence. Yeah, it's like, and, like a day or so before or whatever. And as always, or at least as it tends to go in recent years, there's always plenty of like RPG or RPG-adjacent stuff to discuss in the uh, Nintendo Directs. Yeah, some people are saying were saying that they're disappointed by it, but if you're a big fan of RPGs, especially niche RPGs, it was actually a pretty good one. And there was a few surprises uh, that, that we weren't expecting, and then a couple games that we hadn't heard about in a while that we did hear about, and then a couple games we were hoping to see that uh, were absent. So, you know, the whole gamut of things. Uh, but before we go into that, we're going to talk about what we always talk about at the start, games we've been playing. Though I think there's a, a particular demo that might, you know, cross bleed the two sections of our podcast. I think it's um, it's worth just bringing it up, like you know, uh, when we get into it, and it's just like, yeah, this is the game that we're just gonna have to segue into it, like from there. Yep. But uh, so with that in mind, I guess we'll go to James first about what he's been playing. You know, he's been in the middle of his Final Fantasy mar- marathon. Uh, last week, he talked a bunch about Final Fantasy V, which paired well with the discussion on Bravely Default 2. Uh, James, so where are you at now? Um, so I did finish five last week. Uh, very good game. feel basically the same way I did before. It's uh, easily my favorite of the bunch, at least of the ones I've played. Uh, so I finally started Final Fantasy VI, which I was excited for because obviously it's the one bef- that everyone says is the best. Um, and I can definitely see why it's so beloved because it's just a technical showcase for the Super Nintendo and it's really, really impressive for like what it pioneers in the sense that playing it now, you can totally tell that Final Fantasy VI is where the modern JRPG got its start. It's cool that you're able to see that like retroactively because since you weren't there to play it when it first came out. And I also understand that you're playing it with a, in a very particular manner. Yeah, so I'm using a ROM hack called uh, Revised Old Style Edition, which isn't one of those ones that changes up things massively. It's basically just uh, tries to take the best parts of the translation from the Super Nintendo version and the best parts from the GBA version. So you get some of the flavor from the original Super Nintendo release, but any of the translation inaccuracies have been smoothed over. Anything that wouldn't have fit the characters is smoothed over. So it's like best of both worlds. Um, That's and definitely the- like where I think a, a lot of people, especially when they started out Final Fantasy, that was a lot of them started with Final Fantasy VI, especially in the West. Yeah, like- um, and it's been fascinating going through the series so I can see exactly where some of the aspects of Final Fantasy VI itself came from, like in previous centuries and whatnot. Um, another way that I'm, well, so obviously I'm emulating it. Um, I have a Super, uh, Super Nintendo Classic Edition, or 
uh, SNES Mini, so I have a copy of Final Fantasy VI or Final Fantasy III for Super Nintendo. So it's like I'm not really too miffed about like emulating it in the first place. It's like I, I own a copy, whatever. But um, what I've been doing is I've been using um, B and SNES and using the CRT, the CRT Royale shader. Um, okay. Normally, I'm not a person to use shaders for when I'm emulating games, but ever since I've gotten my most recent monitor, well, not my most recent, but my 1440p monitor, um, <clears throat> CRT shaders actually work better the higher resolution of your display, which makes sense because it has more to interpolate with. And uh, I found that shaders actually do tend to, um, CRT sh uh, shaders actually do tend to look fairly convincing at 1440p, at least for Super Nintendo games. So I've been doing that because obviously many of those sprites were designed with CRT limitations in mind, and you you kind of lose that um, lose out on some of the perceived detail that would have been there on a CRT. Whereas if you look at just the sprite on a regular ass screen now, it's like you, you kind of don't see where it would have blended together on purpose. If that makes sense. But you could have avoided this whole thing if you just played the uh, the version on Steam. <clears throat> oh God. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. how far are you like into the game right now um i'm about eight hours in i finished up the uh, defense of narsh so That's let me put it this good. way i'll say this i found tara again now we're on the quest of uh getting to well i forget where it is specifically but we found tara now we're figuring out a way to help her so I feel like that's probably like maybe a third of the way through, maybe a little bit less. I don't know. Yeah, maybe a little less. But um, I think that what what has what has persisted through the years for Final Fantasy VI, <laughs> and this is this is not an enlightening take, uh, but the fact that it doesn't really have a centralized main character, like you can make the the, the best argument is for Terra, and that's the one obviously that makes it into like the city and things like that. But it, it just feels like. Out of all of the games in the whole series, it's the one that kind of spreads the narrative focus over the whole cast the most evenly. And oh, even yeah. later, in, even later in the game, it goes and does like perspective shifts as you, you know, jump from character to character. And I think there's just a lot of cool storytelling that you can do when you're not like shackled to this must be through the eyes or at least you know over the shoulder of one particular person that you might not <laughs> that you might not like. With yeah, some later I games really, it being a problem. Go ahead. Yeah, I really liked the way that the story lets you like early on. It's like, okay, here's three different groups of of uh, characters that you're going to have to experience a couple of hours of their story before you progress, and it allowed them to go into detail, or at least a little bit more into detail for each of these individual characters' personalities more organically because it. It makes sense in the story why they would have, why they got separated, why they need to meet back up, and of course, each of those characters is going to have their own like version of events for how they got back to the central location. So it fits, and it allows them to do so much with helping each of these characters feel like actual characters. And there's also these little events even after that, where depending on your party and where you go to, you might have these events. Like if you bring both of the brothers to Figaro, you'll have this whole like completely optional cutscene where they like rep they look back on what caused them to go their separate ways in the first place and 
those little character moments actually they started i'd say in final fantasy 5 where you have like these if you go to specific places you'll have these moments that are completely missable completely optional but it's like even though and it's fascinating because even though final fantasy 5 and 6 are very different types of rpgs one's like more open-ended with the job system and kind of way more replayable less of a story focus so the characters are still very good in final fantasy 5 i'd say Final Fantasy VI is obviously more like Final Fantasy IV, where there is very much a bespoke storyline and there is a character focus and a chain of events. But it's so fascinating seeing how even for these two very different games, you can see that despite it all, they're like six is a follow-up, and it does take some from Final Fantasy V and how it decides to tell its story. It's really interesting to be able to see that. So who yeah. is uh who, I was just going to ask, who is your uh, most powerful party member right now? I remember the early game running Edgar with the crossbow a whole bunch. Oh, Edgar with the crossbow is easily one of the best ways of doing it. <laughs> um, I actually was um, doing a lot of damage with basically just Edgar using crossbow and um, Sabin using the Phoenix. Uh, that was a bit too OP for my blood, though, so I kind of swapped out... Um, Seven for Sian, uh, or however you pronounce it. I always just pronounce it like the color. I actually don't know. Sian? Sian, uh, yeah. Um, plus, I figured, well, I had the two brothers for the um, first kind of moment where it's like, hey, gather your party. And I figured, well, if I'm heading into the Empire, I should probably swap um, Seven out for Sian, because he's probably going to have stuff to say that I would miss otherwise, which makes sense. Uh, this is also, I think FF6 is also one of like the big first milestones in the whole Final Fantasy series when people talk about like, oh, I miss when, you know, when Final Fantasy was good. And then like, this was like one of the first like Final Fantasies, especially for like the older generations, like that they refer to in their minds. Of course, there'll be other ones along the way as you play. Like there's seven, there's 10, there's nine. You know, everyone has a different version of like, I wish, you know, Final Fantasy was like this. And like, you never know where it's going to land for a lot of people because each Final Fantasy, as you see, is like, is very different in their own ways. And that just continues to, to like, go, uh, be more emphasized the, the, the more you get into it, like the, the longer you go. And it's like, a, what, what, what is Final Fantasy to a lot of people? To, to a good chunk, that means, you know, the split narratives and the world building in FF6 and, the, the way it pushed the SNES tech to its limits, like just it's still a gorgeous game to this game. Uh, to this oh, game. yeah, it's just fascinating how much they managed to get out of the hardware, like even just the uh, like how you ride your chocobo. Like in pretty much every other game before then, it was completely top down, even on like the uh, PSP remakes that I played, it was just top down, very, very simple, but. <laughs> You get on a chocobo in Final Fantasy VI, and it's like, oh my god, this is pseudo 3D. This is really kind of cool. So is Final Fantasy VI like the first time, really, that Square Soft like flexed its digital chops, its prowess in that uh, space? Because then, then obviously it carried over into <laughs> a lot of stuff that they did on the um in the next trilogy, quote unquote, of games with seven through nine. Oh yeah, it's a very impressive Super Nintendo game from a technical standpoint. That's for sure. And like going even, off what Josh said, uh, uh, actually, go ahead. Like, I was going to say, like, 
obviously one of the things that you hear about a bunch of Final Fantasy VI is the opera scene. It's like, I didn't really have any idea of what to expect from that, but it's like playing through it, it's like, this is really cool. And I imagine, I can totally see how it would have blown kids' minds back in the 90s playing through this, because it's a very, very impressive use of the hardware. And like, back then, before you had like real bespoke cutscenes, that that was like, must have been a revelation, mind-blowing to people. Yeah, the line between just text boxes and then actual full-blown full born cutscenes. Um, and then, going off what Josh said, it does kind of feel like Final Fantasies 6 through 9 are like the safe, I don't know, nostalgia-shielded era of Final Fantasy. It's kind of hard, not impossible, to like criticize those games. Like It feels like 10 on is when you really get like the fractured, very passionate, you know, I feel yeah, like babe. if more people had played Final Fantasy V, that would be included in that conversation. But it, it feels sad because, like, Final Fantasy II is infamous for obviously being, like, the black sheep for a lot of people. Even if I feel otherwise, I preferred it to Final Fantasy III. But it feels like, out of the first five at least, Final Fantasy V is the one that is underrated, I feel like. So basically, it's a shame that we had to wait a relatively long time in order to even play it. Yeah. So. Well, it's cool to see that, like, I didn't, I did not play Final Fantasy VI as it came out. My, for, I was actually pretty late to the series. I was uh, Final Fantasy X. But then I quickly went back to play all the rest. And I was a little bit late to the game. I was, like, already in middle school or whatever when I started playing Final Fantasy. So, I, like, I was old enough that I could have played VI. Well, you're, but I just didn't. You're saying did you're not late to the party uh, when you played it, and it's like, well... I'm yeah. and I'm it's pre- it's pretty interesting to see like how like what people perceive as an RPG and like what does that mean to them you know is is very much shaped with like what's the very first RPG they played and for a lot of people FF6 is that so it a lot of FF6 philosophies and um approaches to narrative design gameplay design what to expect out of visuals and that era that, like that carries through like for many people through the rest of their lives like this is what a traditional quote-unquote normal rpg is versus like people who may have started ff2 like this is what an rpg is or can be and you know and for a good chunk of those people they became lifelong saga fans Hmm. yep more on that later (laughs) all right so do you have like any like i guess what do you think of i don't know i don't remember if by this point in the game if you've met or interacted a lot with Kefka much at all? Oh, he's a total, like, asshole. Like, I can see how he's such a, like, memorable antagonist, because, like, even the people in the game are, like, like, well, best way to put it is, is that, yeah, like, if you look at it on a macro sense, the game's like, oh, you're going up against the Empire, but from the very beginning, you can tell, no, it's not necessarily the Empire you're worried about, it's Kefka. <laughs> Like, there's people in the Empire saying, like, whoa, dude, you're going a bit too far. And he said, yeah, fuck you, I'll do what I want. <laughs> like, it's the I point kinda... where you literally have people defecting. I-, I think it's pretty clear, like, even from, like, the get-go that, yeah, the big bad isn't the Empire. The big bad's Kefka, who's using the Empire. <laughs> I do think that sometimes you just have to let your antagonist be, like, an absolute raging you know, asshole, evil person. It doesn't need to be like the shades of gray, you know, misplaced morality, you know, sort of thing. It can just be a person that is just an agent of chaos. Yeah, basically. Uh, I would like to see more of that. 
in RPGs rather than like like this person you knew when you were younger who has now like lost their way and you got to reclaim like you got to you know you got you got to make it so that they turn back but you fail at the end or something where where they're trying to make you more sympathetic to the villain i like how kefka is just a completely anti-sympathetic character feels like it shouldn't be that unique but it kind of is i feel like at this point any other final thoughts on uh final fantasy 6 well, it's not final thoughts yet until I finish the game, but uh, so far I am liking it. I'm not sure if I'll actually end up enjoying it more than I enjoyed Final Fantasy V, because I enjoyed that quite a bit more than I was expecting, but we'll see. Uh, definitely going to be my second favorite at a minimum. So that's, uh, yeah, Final Fantasy VI. Uh, people that say that it was a masterpiece and it's a classic, uh, yeah, it holds up still. Definitely still the case. I am interested to see about later in the game how I don't expect your opinion to change, but I do. I want to hear your feedback on basically what is what is yet to come. All right. And then you've also got listed here that you've played a little bit of control. Yeah. So obviously, since I've been playing through the Final Fantasy series, uh, I'm on the sixth one in under two months. I got to play games besides RPGs or else I'll, I'll go insane. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's not allowed. You got to leave. <laughs> <laughs> um I go ahead. but yeah so it's not just that i've been playing through final fantasy every now and then i've been playing something different like i played through cyber shadow i played through uh this I, I, that one neat little like coin quick adventure i talked about a few weeks ago stuff like that just gotta find <laughs> gotta space find ways games. to kind of yeah and space my games out so it's not that i'm immediately playing the next final fantasy game or at least i'm not just playing final fantasy uh, so I've had quite a few friends that have told me that they enjoy Control, and obviously since I have a PlayStation 5, it's like, well, I want to have an excuse to use it, and Control's the uh, most recent PlayStation Plus game. And it's, uh, well, if I'm going to play it, I don't want to play it on a PS4, and I don't have a ray tracing like capable graphics card, so it's like, okay, I'll play it on my PS5. I actually and didn't realize they, uh, they put it on PS Plus. Did they ever get past that weird issue where with the upgrade or is it still just a paid upgrade? That's how it is. It's still a paid upgrade, but it's kind of a moot point if you have a PlayStation because the version on PS Plus is the ultimate edition that it's crossed by. All right. And you know, that works. Yeah, it works. It's dumb, but it works. Um, so it's kind of like a Metroidvania type deal but also a third-person shooter. It's interesting. It's very much a game where the narrative is... Okay, if you haven't really played Control or looked into it, it's basically SCP, the video game, but, but as a Metroidvania, and the area that you're actually exploring is this like Federal Bureau of Control, which is this really exaggerated form of a like federal office so you have like all these like locations or like bastardized versions of just a regular ass office building which shouldn't be interesting but the way that things like progress and the way that the areas morph before you like put them back together it's a really fascinating interesting kind of location for a video game just because you wouldn't expect it to be interesting. So the fact that they managed to get it to be interesting is just, yeah. It's also one of those cool games that like, 
you the the most effective way of exploring it is actually looking at the environment and looking at the signs of the environment like where things are because the map in that game is super unreliable yeah i'd say that that's by design like the map just gives you a general idea of where you are but there's literal signposting like any huge like office building where it's like hey if you want to go to the cafeteria it's this way if you want to go to the mail mail department this way and you have to follow those like you would if you were actually like exploring an office building in person which is interesting this might seem like a weird question but what's the like scope of the game in terms of like the antagonist is it like a supernatural force or is it supernatural force um and it hasn't fully i haven't gone deep enough into the game to say like definitively what the actual story is like you kind of start the game and there's like little bits and pieces of information, but it doesn't say, okay, so there's a supernatural force called the hiss, but who invited the hiss in? I don't know yet. Yeah. And it's like, so I'm it's not sure. Of, Have I you played also, it? Um, yeah, I played it. I, I think it's also one of those games that like, it's super valuable to go uh, find the collectibles in the environment, like, uh, like with the notes and whatever, because that really helps put together, together the story in a sense because it's it's hard to get a full grasp of like what the, if you only see like the story cutscenes and whatnot like you it only really came together in my head once i saw like you know what was written in the collectibles and reading them and seeing okay this is how it's pieced together and it's also cool too like you know just like with any t- type of uh man i forgot i already forget remedy a- any type of a uh, game from remedy they also have like these neat little um foreshadowing like, foreshadowing and also like live action like shows and like tvs as well and they did a really good job on how they on their spin of it and control i always i always enjoy you know remedy like poking at themselves i love how like some of the aspects of the uh collectibles and what you can watch and listen to it seems like a direct response to people that weren't a huge fan of the way that quantum break was structured where you literally just had to watch a fucking TV show while you're like in the middle of playing your game. That's you can still do. You can still do that here, but like all like a bunch of the videos, like when you pick up the hotlines, like you can use it to contact the board and speak more closely with the director. And it's like, okay. And then you have to actively go into the menu and go to it to see these like minutes long clips where it just talks about stuff. It's like, it's like still obvious, like, part of what went into quantum break but it's not in your face this time because of all the crap they got for quantum break like forcing you to watch videos yeah the, the, this is definitely like easily one of remedy's like strongest games if not their their best game so far that's saying a lot because didn't they work on max Payne one and two yep but yeah i'm enjoying it so far um Still very early on, um, but we'll pro- I'll probably have more to say about it next week while I'm with Final Fantasy VI. So I had only played Alan Wake, and then I knew about the uh, live-action component to, what is it, Quantum Break? Mm-hmm. And, I didn't, and I didn't realize that Control also kind of had some version of that. Though obviously with the feedback of how people didn't really like how it was implemented in uh, Quantum Break. Okay, so I guess I'll go next. Um, since I talked about it last week, I won't really go into go into it too long here, but I did finish up Yakuza 4. Mm-hmm. And uh, last week, I was really kind of down on it because I didn't like the first protagonist, and I didn't think the story was really going anywhere. Uh, 
I do think that out of the four protagonists, that was like the low the low point. So I enjoyed myself more from that point on. Um, I did mention how I also really liked how the second protagonist, Taiga Sajima, tied into. Well, I'm saying this backwards, but because I played the games backwards, how it tied into some of Majima's background from Yakuza Zero. I do think that um, it, it helps the game feel more like it's an overarching story that comprises that just happens to comprise of five games rather than just like monster of the week, sort of a new thread or a new problem with every numbered entry. Uh, it, I guess Yakuza three sort of felt like that where it kind of introduced a bunch of antagonists that you hadn't heard of before. And then like you, they were all dealt with well, all, all but one were dealt with in the game that they're introduced. So it kind of felt like an anime's monster of the week sort of thing. But then Yakuza 4, it's like, all right, we're actually going to talk about some things that happened way in the, you know, in the history and back in the 1980s and carry it through to here. So it felt a little bit more interconnected, a little bit more smartly mm-hmm. intertwined with the, uh, with the stories and the, and the, the narrative seeds that have been planted. Um, I do like uh, Tani Mura quite a bit. He's a little bit bland. Uh, do I have that name right? I think that it sounds right. The, the yeah. cop, right? Yeah. He was a little bit bland because I don't know the, the the cop with the heart of gold. That's also a bit of a rascal. It's not that, you know, I don't not that compelling. But uh, I did like his his voice actor was pretty good. His story was pretty compelling. Uh, he was a good like foil to some of the other characters who are a bit like older and more grizzled and maybe more cynical. I think he was also he, was, he had to he had to be replaced in the remaster. Also, I think his model and his voice actor had to change because it had because the, the judgment thing happened where his old one. I think uh, was there, there was some uh, case about him, this old actor being involved with drugs or something, and that's a big, big, big no-no in Japan. Yeah, and, and we saw that with one of the supporting characters in um, Judgment as well. Yeah, so I think that's the happened with Tadamura's case in the remaster. Yeah, so I do know that on PC on Steam there are, I think, I'm pretty sure there are already mods to replace it with the original uh, character model, and apparently that actor, it was, it was. You know, allegations of cocaine possession, but they were eventually dropped. But the actor ended up like retiring from acting, anyways. Uh, so yeah, it's a bummer. It's just you know, I guess that's just we've seen it twice now in this series with characters that had to be like remodeled and revoiced because of drug allegations. Did you do so the original just, or the new one? The uh, the original actor. Okay. Yeah, and I guess that's also probably plays a role into why this character doesn't appear later in the game, like later in the series at all. Like they're they're not even given the uh, Sayama send off at the beginning of three, where they're just like, "I must go now" <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Yakuza Four. I really kind of I can see why people, have, at least in the circle that I have, or people are kind of down on this game as a low bar for the series. It does have a lot of like plot contrivances, which I feel like is kind of I said that for Yakuza Seven as well, um, especially with some of the motivations of some of the antagonists aren't quite clear. And then what really happened in the 1980s uh, is a bit silly. Uh, and then at the very end of the game, the way that they kind of wrap things into the climax is very abrupt. It's basically just like, why don't we just meet them here and all the important characters will show up and we'll just punch them to death or punch them not to death. It is very much the, the, the most Yakuza series finale you can have in a Yakuza game. In, yeah, in Yakuza. Akiyama, without spoiling the specifics, Akiyama basically says, 
let's just get all of the people that we have a current beef with, get them all in this one location, and we'll just beat it, beat it out of them. And that's how we'll solve this problem. And that's literally what happens. Like, it just unfolds just like that. Like, oh, yeah. Like, yes, you kind of expect that to happen at the end of a Yakuza game, but usually it's like cloaked into some like narrative understanding. But this one, they just kind of like say it out loud. Like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Um, there's also like a few characters like near the end of Tanimura's arc of the story, you learn some like a revelation is made by about one of the characters that seems like it's going to be a, a maybe not a big deal, but a pretty decent deal. And then at the start of like the next section, this character is like out of the picture off screen. Like, oh, he's not he's not around anymore. Um, and I have to speak generically because I don't want to spoil it. But it just feels like they had this idea, and then you can kind of see where they're like, "Oh, we don't have time to resolve that. Let's just uh, let's just take care of it. Let's just nip that right here." So there's a few points like that in the story where it feels like that. I do, I do like the uh, the general idea of telling the story through multiple protagonists, and obviously, I think they kind of can't, found a better balance when they eventually went to Yakuza Zero and limited it to two well-written with a lot of backstory protagonists. Which means, I guess I will have to revisit that chain of thought to see how well they do it in 5, because I know in 5 they they do that same trick again. Uh, I've heard... Good luck. Yeah, I've heard things about Yakuza 5. Most of them bad. I don't want to like kind of color my preconceptions. It's, it's, but... it's not, like, I, I would have... I wouldn't call it bad, but it's, it, it's a lot. <laughs> like, uh... I, I guess the best way to put it is, as with every Yakuza game and the, the way they explain stuff, they're the, I call it a bullshit meter, right? And Yakuza 4 is fairly high on that bullshit meter with the revelations, especially around Saijima and what really happened, you know? Um, in 5, it does, it's not like it does t- doesn't take it to a new level, but it's like it's still fair, fairly high up on that bullshit meter. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the two things that I hear most about Yakuza 5 is that it's big, and that it's bloated. Like, oh, okay, that's a, that's a great two things to highlight, I suppose. I yeah. probably won't play it right away because we have a bunch of games that are releasing in late February that I'm interested in. Uh, but I'll try to squeeze it in before six. And if I'm not at if I'm not to six by the time it releases in March for PC, like if I'm not there on day one, that's fine. I by hope. the end of the year, I do hope that I have those both knocked out, and I'll be a uh, I'll be an expert then. Yeah. Join the Yakuza Expert Club. Yeah, I'll be allowed in the club. <laughs> so Yakuza 4, I, I enjoyed parts of it. Uh, I do think it had some pretty strong or pretty pretty overt weaknesses, but I did like the multiple... I liked the multiple protagonists uh, in terms of how the story unfolded, even though I didn't like some of the particular story beats. And then the other thing I've been playing is a new demo that was announced for a game... That was announced uh, at the Nintendo Direct on Wednesday. And that is Project Triangle Strategy. So now we're going to... Yeah, working title, though, with precedent of what they've done with Project Octopath Traveler. Who knows at this point? In 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 two years, we might be playing... Do you think they're really going to stick with Triangle Strategy? Like, uh, I I, I think Octopath stuck because people like like, okay, Octopath is a fun word to say. And that just kind of got... Like I, I guess it resonated with people and the, the, as more time went on. But do you think triangle strategy will resonate with people the same way as time goes on? Honestly, no. But at this point, like I really thought they weren't going to stick with Octopath. But I guess they did. I have already seen some people like trying to brainstorm what a, what a real title could be. 
I've heard like triangle tactics, and I'm kind of like, eh, maybe you've got the T uh, alliteration there. Yeah, uh, like tri- triangle <laughs> is just a weird word to have in a title, but it's like also kind of a striking one, and it ties into like the the framework of the game. A, like, a bit. I'm, I'm thinking of all like the other titles that have like that similar all caps underline logo, and like you have the bravely default games is doing that, so bravely default. Then you had the Apple uh, arcade exclusive Various Day Life. Yeah. It's just like, was that Project uh, Various Day Life at one point? I don't know. I don't remember actually when the when first got announced. Maybe it's a very Anyways, chance. To, uh, to set the table, um, Project Triangle Strategy was it, was, it was a surprise kind of game uh, announced at the Direct. It, it was leaked beforehand, like right before, but the Project Triangle Strategy, what's that? I don't know. Like that's just a name, that's just a string of three random words. And then we learned that this is a quote-unquote HD 2D game in the same vein uh, as Octopath Traveler, published by Square Enix, developed by Art Dink, which I think is different. Um, and it's a isometric, top-down strategy RPG in the vein of Final Fantasy Tactics, or maybe more particularly, um, Ogre Battle. Tactics yeah, Ogre. Tactics, Tactics Ogre, Ogre Battle. It's very much more like that. Because um, during the trailer, so they had like a little trailer for it, and that was kind of like a very a very sweeping overview of uh the the narrative conceit the the graphic style obviously was highlighted um and then obviously the story premise and then they have this very high focus on this thing called the scales of conviction which basically is their method of doing these branching consequential decision making things like we saw in a game like um let us cling together and then the demo itself actually does this to a little bit of an extent where you have to make a few choices so that's kind of cool that they incorporated incorporated that a bit into the demo but yeah it's got the very if you've played final fantasy tactics if you've played tactics ogre it's very much wearing that inspiration on its sleeve not shying away from it um, yeah it has to be like more, more specific to the audience like the a lot of what characterizes ogre battle and tactics ogre is terrain manipulation so You'll have these, uh, you know, one of the core systems in the strategy RPG is like there'll be different elevations. So if you're in a different elevation, you'll do more damage, have a higher scope, uh, positional, like where your character is facing after the the turn ends, depends on how much damage you'll take because you take more damage at the side and at the at the rear. And then like there, there's just uh, ways to manipulate the environment. Like there'll be an ice mage you get in the demo that like you're able to prop up three ice. Uh, like barriers that'll last for a certain amount of turns so like you, you're now cutting off the path of like enemies approaching you because you've made these barriers so it's a lot of terrain manipulation and also combos as well like when you attack uh, a, a unit in front of you and there's a you have a unit behind them they'll they'll do a follow-up attack as well which is very very much in that spirit and vein of those games and the thing is is um first of all there's also like ice fields on the ground that slows movement i forgot if you mentioned that so in addition to the ice walls, right. and then like the, the enemies can do that combo as well. There's been a few times. So we both played the demo, um, or at least parts of it. And there's been times where I place a character and I'm not really thinking about that. And then all of a sudden they're pincered and I'm like, oh crap, now they're going to take like 50% more damage than they would if I had just moved them over one slot. Uh, and then the uh, there's a, there's two battles in the demo. The first one's really straightforward and I actually put up a, um, a little gameplay just snippet, just raw, raw gameplay up on the uh, RPG site YouTube channel. But then the second battle, it actually starts incorporating like 
you might have different characters that might join you based on the, the, the things that you've said between the two chapters. Uh, there's different objectives which determine uh, what you are what you have access to in the battle. In the second battle of this demo, basically you're given the option to trap the enemy forces by lighting parts of your village on fire. And this is not really a spoiler; it's shown in the trailer as well. Um, and I was like, I was actually like, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to challenge myself. I want to beat this battle without using this this option. I don't want to light anything on fire. And then I did, and the game actually had like dialogue lines referencing that I had managed to complete it. They're like, we didn't even need to use the traps or whatever. And I'm just thinking, just on a principle basis, that if they can have permutations based on just your actions in battle and not just decisions you make out of a dialogue tree, but then have the dialogue decisions on top of that. I guess I'm always so skeptical when a game comes out of the gate saying, yes, choices and consequences will be meaningful here. But like, I don't know, like the fact that they've demonstrated it in the demo to this extent, just over two chapters, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that they're, I don't know if it's going to be like the best case, you know, I, like I don't, I'm not going from zero to yeah, 100. It's so, yeah, it's so little to, to like really, like they, they've made a compelling case for it. Uh, who knows how it'll play in the final product, but it's a very, it's it's promising. It shows a lot of potential for sure. I think How do you? Thing, um, oh, go ahead. I think the thing that fascinated me most about the demo, and it's it's one of those weird thing. Okay, so let's set the stage of like what this game is actually about. Um, Triangle strategy is about these three nations. You have the Kingdom of Glenbrook, you have uh, the Ace Frost, and you have Hyzant. And then the 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 trailer shows the uh the kingdom of ace frost and the kingdom of hyzant are in control of two different resources one for iron for ace frost and salt for hyzant and then in the middle you have this kingdom of glenbrook that is uh fostering trade um because it's like it, it has it's uh, surrounded by water and whatnot so you know obviously the the you know when there are two resources demand that they go they go to war for for it and then it's so funny how they present this in the trailer they're like one is for salt one is for iron and then and thus the salt iron war was brought forth it's like what the okay sure why not that's the very uh, straight to the point and in the in the demo um the, it starts around chapter six to chapter seven and then a lot of uh events happen in the in the kingdom of glenbrook like there's a whole coup d'etat and whatnot and then there's invading forces and then there's like a like a fleeing royalty and whatnot and like your your main party of uh people that you're in control of um are is within this fleeing prince from this uh kingdom uh that's like you know kind of in uh, danger and then within that there's a lot of political intrigue there's like these these three houses uh in the kingdom of glenbrook that are kind of have their own perspectives about what's going on in it. And um, at a certain point in that demo, uh, when you're uh, housing and protecting this uh, fleeing prince, you know, obviously the the invaders who uh, launched that, you know, attack uh, is going after you. And then your party members actually like hold sort of like a council of sorts of like, do we give up, you know, this prince and just hand it over to them? Or do we stand our ground and uh, fight against these invaders? And it, th there's this really uh, the system called the scales of conviction, 
and then they actually hold a vote about it. But before you hold that vote, because you know there will be some people for it and some people against it. Now, obviously, if you hand over the the prince, you know there will be it'll be there'll be no bloodshed except for the, whatever they do with the prince. Like uh, the the people are safe. You're kind of taking them at their word that like they won't bother you because they only want the prince. And um, so you're trying to make a decision and uh, on what you think is right. And you but you don't have like total control over it. You have to convince one side or the other of like what you should do with the prince so before you hold that vote they give you the option to like explore around the town and see what the well what the what do your people think because the main character his name is Serenoa, and he's this young lord uh like uh part of the big three houses of the kingdom of glenbrook so you're kind of asking your citizens like what do you think about uh this invading force and what we should do with the prince and then you know they all have their own different opinions on like whether they're for it or against it. Some will provide you um, valuable intel. Like one may say like, "Oh, you know, uh, there, we know that there's this invading force co coming." I heard this rumor back then that like there was this uh, this secret weapon or this secret uh, thing about this town. And then you like kind of gain intel. Like, okay, maybe that maybe that there's a case to be made to the the people who wanna. Uh, give up this fleeing prince like maybe if i can convince them hey we actually have a good chance of like um holding our ground and not taking a lot of casualties because of this secret weapon that i've been informed of and the other is like oh you know this person who is this caretaker of this fleeing prince like you know he he, he gave it his all and and uh, like it's it's kind of tragic what happened to him so you kind of learn oh this caretaker for this prince like he like you don't you don't know of his fate uh, when you first last met him, but like now you got intel like oh he like kind of made a sacrifice for him, so maybe that'll boost like you know the your persuasion on like even the prince himself who gets a vote of like whether he should be given up or not. And like for, for, in the prince's eyes, he's like I don't want to have my friends in the way. I'll just give my uh, myself up. You know, like I don't want this th this conflict to extend to you people. So. Before One of the things that was most interesting about this particular vote is that, like, I felt that I had talked to everyone and I gleaned, like, okay, this person's last words, secret trap. I and and the game actually says, like, it gives you like a little flag and says, you have learned all there is to learn about this particular like nugget of information. And but then like I was trying to convince people and I still had a few options locked off. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I missed something or if I wonder if that stuff you'd have to learn in an earlier chapter. Yeah, that's what I was like, thinking too. Like maybe it was like because I didn't get unlock everything too because as you. Before you hold the vote, you have one final chance to talk to the people who are about to vote. And obviously, if you want to vote for one way or the other, you want to convince the people who are in the opposition of what you are trying to go for. You go choose to persuade them. And then the, there'll be like three dialogue options. And sometimes the third dialogue option is is locked with question marks. If But if you get a specific uh, piece of intel that might, you know, be able to persuade you, them just a little bit more it'll actually unlock and you can see what that third option is because you gain a nugget of intel that may support you in that uh you know in that persuasion and for, for me personally like i was never able to convince anyone 100 percent to like go vote for the other side at, at best in my case i was able to get them to be undecided and be like okay um same here maybe, yeah maybe i'll reconsider so i wonder if there's any way uh maybe in the final game i don't even know if it, even in the demo on uh if you could ever get a person 100 percent to the other side no questions asked and also 
I haven't fully completed the demo. I'm like in the final battle of that, uh, supposedly. But I want to see like what the other outcome is because there are two major outcomes out of this vote, uh, whether you stand your ground or give the prince. And I, I didn't give the prince. I'm standing my ground right now. It's a, it's a pretty you know challenging battle. Yeah, that's but... one thing that I noticed is that this isn't... The first battle is pretty straightforward, but the second battle is... Like, I reset a few times. Um, I also was making it more difficult on myself because as far as I can tell, there is no, like, permadeath or death penalty mechanic. And I think that's kind of like how some of the tactics, like, advanced schemes work. Like, unless you're in a particular region, if a character dies in battle, it's not a big deal. It just means you can't use them for the rest of the battle. And I was playing it like Fire Emblem, like classic Fire Emblem, where I was like, mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to die before the end. And then in the final battle, there is a boss character. And then like I kind of rushed to the boss character and took him out. But that didn't end the battle. You actually have to wipe out the enemy forces. So mm -hmm. since I had rushed to the boss, I had people like out of position and I like, got oh, crap. And then a few of them died, quote unquote. But then they're back in the cutscenes after just fine. So I wonder if there'll be like settings for like the, the, the classic casual permadeath, no permadeath. Yeah, or, I wonder too. Because right now it's pretty lenient. It, there's no death penalties. You can be, which kind of opens up a lot of, you know, you can be more reckless if it's near the end of the battle and you can finish an enemy off, even if it puts one of your units in danger, it's fine. Uh, so I was able to beat the battle without using the traps, like I mentioned, because I was able to be reckless like that. But yeah, I want to see the other outcome too. Yeah, I really uh, I really appreciate that they, uh, a lot, a lot of the HUD and the UI give you like feedback about the consequences of where you like move. So, like you know, this is common like in uh, in Fire Emblem and in other strategy games, even in Tactics Ogre, where like where you move and then like you'll, there'll be different colored uh, spaces, and then it'll show you if you go to the space, you are in the range of people that can attack you. It'll actually show like like enemy lines, like uh, uh, saying this unit. Could potentially attack you or these yeah, units. Final Fantasy Twelve style. Yeah. Or actually, uh, why is that? Why did, why did I use that example? It's like three, three houses is the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the, they they take a lot of uh, like modern cues from like strategy RPGs to like just let the player know that info up front instead of like doing guesswork. And like, of course, it's all potential. Like they could like target other characters. They could just like not choose to act on that. It's it's pretty neat. I I really enjoy that. There's, it, it feel it feels like the potential of this game is so, it, it's so big, and I wonder what is the scope of this game, and whatnot. And there's also like, uh, it's also leaning towards like there's optional characters to recruit, so I wonder if there's gonna be secret characters because, uh, throughout the throughout the demo there'll be like these main story events, and then you'll be, uh, before you can, if you can choose to advance immediately, but you'll be kicked to, out to a world map screen, and then there'll be these optional. Um, side stories you can view, and a good chunk of them in the demo, just like different perspectives on like the other sides of the conflict. Like for the main three houses, of the Glenbrook uh, Kingdom of Glenbrook, there'll be a major event that happens, and you'll see a little scene of like what where they stand on what's happening, and then there's even a little scene like in the other Kingdom of Hyzant of what's going on over there. But then there's a one side story where you just get like this character just uh, for free by just viewing that story. And I wonder if this will really, really lead into like, okay, the, if you take this branch or this story branch or you tackle this mission a certain way, will you unlock this side story for like a secret character and whatnot? And that's really compelling and exciting to see. 
I hope that there is no like golden path. Like if you do this, then this, then this, you get all the characters and the best outcome. I, I mm-hmm. want there to really be like these characters are mutually exclusive and they're both really good, but you only can get one. I really hope they do that. Me too. Yeah, I, I, I hope there's like no like hundred percent playthrough. If you're if you do this, you're golden. You see all the content. Like I don't want that. Exactly. But it's a it's it's neat. I'm really glad that they decided to take the HD 2D engine in this direction. Like unlike Octopath, you're able to like rotate the camera around 360 degrees. Like mm-hmm. that really that really caught me off by surprise because in Octopath you were only bound by like you know 2D side scrolling going through towns. But when you're exploring like the town for intel or like even the, in the exploration phase before battle when you're trying to just talk to your party members you can just swing that ca- camera around no problem it, it feels it feels good and i also really like that they provide different camera options in battle that um normally they just do the isometric and you can swing your camera around but there's also if you zoom all the way out it'll just be like a like a big overhead view like uh, almost like fire emblem style I was like, oh, you I, see actually, I never tried that. Yeah, there's a bird's eye view option if you just zoom it all the way out. Yeah, I never tried battle. that. Yeah, it's super helpful. I really, I really dig that. Um, I think the like the obviously this, this is a work in progress demo. They're gonna they're gonna have, release a survey and take feedback or, or whatnot. And I hope like you know people really uh, do their best in uh, voicing their concerns of it. Like my personal concerns right now are some of the voice acting, especially the main character Serenova. Is it really there? Obviously, this is still an early game. It's slated for 2022. So it's not like it's not coming out of like in a few months at all. So there's still time to uh, build upon it, improve it. But you know, some of the voice acting uh, is kind of not there yet. Uh, I also don't like the world map screen when you're going around. The cursor is too too slow when you're and not as responsive as you want it to be when you're going around. I wish in the world map screen also there was a way to like just zoom a zoom out option you can see the whole map not having to like scroll around the edges of the map and seeing oh am i missing any side story that's just not visible in view i just want like one that just shows the world map like in one shot yeah uh, there was a few characters that i thought really had good voices like it's very uneven maxwell i liked his voice the king i liked his voice the main characters are both not great which kind of stinks because they're the ones that speak the most uh it's you know it's the sort of thing where I don't need them to be great. If they end up if they end up being final voices, fine. It's not, it's like I don't play these games for the narrative, not really. I play it more for the strategy. But if it's going to have a big focus on these branching paths and these permutations, then I don't know if it's too late in the game to hope that they change or just you know accept what we got. But I also um the, I know uh, Octopath Traveler had a few graphics options in terms of, like vignetting and things like that. Some there's sometimes where this art style looks a little bit post-processed a bit. It's kind of, yes. it's, it's like some, sometimes the effects are kind of like blurry and bloomy, and not not quite as clean as it could be. I like the pixel uh, art of the characters, but sometimes like the environments and like the light lighting effects, I think they're just turned up to eleven when they should be at like eight. Um, the, yeah. Also, like there's like weird like a sheen in some uh, spots too. Like there's like a, there's a balcony scene. Um, uh, in the demo it's it's pretty big but like the first thing that caught my eye was like there were like some bushes at around the corner they were just like they were just like glowing and then they're like particle effects kind of like gleaning from them i'm like that's weird you know that they're definitely like the visuals get too intense at times for what they're trying to aim for i feel yeah and then sometimes when the camera's rotating since since the sprites obviously are only drawn 
so many times and you can't like like sometimes when, it, when the camera's rotating you can see like the sprite kind of you see like like it shift from one position to the next uh it's hard to it's hard to describe it almost like it's aliasing as you as the camera rotates mm -hmm. and that that might just be like something where i don't know if you can technically work around that as they are 2d sprites but maybe there's there's some times where like during a cutscene, the camera just to try to make it more dynamic it's like swinging back and forth just very slightly and I'm almost just like may maybe just make it a stationary camera like that's fine like I don't I don't need this but maybe, maybe that's <laughs> I don't know I I, li I like the rotating camera because I didn't like the stationary camera uh, right. so, yeah I, yeah, I, I can I, understand I, that too all of these are nitpicks from me yeah. like I, like the graphics I'm okay with I think they're a little bit bloomy and blurry but they're fine the voice acting is uneven but it's fine I know some people are more down on it than I am uh but other than that what the game does well i think it has and shown itself that so far it does yeah it was fun and it was like a good meaty two hours if you do everything and then yeah. probably more if you uh i want to play through it again and make the other choice so you get, yeah, get quite a bit I, out I, of it then okay and also they need to have more save slots because i'm the type of person that like i, I want to see like different outcomes as well so i'm already pushing up against that 10 save slot limit on this <laughs> game easily uh, saved when so the game many. comes out you just end up with 100. if they let me i would um uh, as going back to like your the visuals also the thing that really stuck out of my mind like i i wish they would have this conceit that like some of these assets it's okay for them to be 3d rendered like it, the thing that really stuck out of my mind was in the in the voting room like there's these flag banners but like the edges of that flag banner are all like pixelated and like all alias because it's trying to keep consistent with the art style it's like it's okay if you have like those flag banners like the assets for those black banners be like 3D assets and be more smooth. It's okay. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I wouldn't care. Just it just because it just sticks out like right there. Like I, I guess I know why you did this, but it doesn't have to be like this too. Always. So yeah, that's our combined opinions on Triangle. Sorry, Project Triangle Strategy. Uh, give us your best. Yeah, give us your best uh, actual titles for that, and see what we think about it. I, don't, I, don't, I actually don't have a good alternate title. I, I, I would, I would love for them to stick with triangle strategy. How, how about it is so... how about just the, the salt iron tactics? Salt iron <laughs> tactics. Oh, oh man. Hey, I, I haven't played. A, I haven't played a strategy game of this type since like Three Houses. Oh, and we never mentioned this, but this game is slated to come out in um twenty twenty two. So next year at some yep. point. Yeah. Nintendo's saying that the direct is going to be focused on games in the first half of 2021. Yeah, that was a lot. That was a fucking lie. <laughs> well, they've done it before when they uh, said, what, what was it in the last direct a year and a half ago? They said this is going to be focused on third party. Or no, it wasn't. It was going to be focused on first party. And then they got Shin Megami Tensei and put, their, put in there anyways. Which was well, absolutely I, I, I mean, the, well, the demo came out in the first half of 2021. So for Triangle Strategies. Technically. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's it's so it's promising, but but like again, like I have to uh, I have to be calm about it because remember remember the Octopath Traveler demo was very promising as well. Um, I I still like Octopath Traveler, but it has very very big flaws still, and yep. you know it, 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 we're already heading in the right direction because people actually like speak to each other and acknowledge that they exist consistently. It's not like. Oh, let's go to the bar and like say like a one or two line thing about our motivation, and then maybe we'll like say what's up again at the very, very final true end secret thing and whatnot. At least in this one, there, there there's people constantly interacting with each other, and there's like a, a tangible story and 
plot line through it. Mm-hmm. Well, those are the only two games that uh, I had played over the last week, finishing up Yakuza and then getting into this demo. So I guess, Josh, if you've got anything left, it's up to you. Yeah, uh, the open beta for the Guilty Gear Strive, Arc System Works' new fighting game, new mainline entry to the Guilty uh, Gear series is ongoing. Uh, at the moment, it's, it feels like it's going up and down due to the server stability. But I've been pl- I've been putting quite a few hours into that because you know I've I really like Guilty Gear. I'm always there for it. It's uh, I, ha- I hold it in very high regard. Uh, like you can expect from a new uh, Guilty Gear entry at this point, especially with modern Arc System Works, the visuals are incredible. They look amazing and whatnot. I'm the character I've been playing the most right now is one of the new characters. His name is Nagori Yuki. He's a vampire samurai. And he's a, he's a very weird character in this game, even in fighting games, just how he controls. Because um, he ha- uh, unlike other characters, he has this uh, meter called called his blood meter. <laughs> and every time you do like a, a special move with him, uh, whether it's like a, you know, he has like certain moves, like this big, like downward slash, or even even uh, movement. He he's de- very different from the rest of the cast, where he can't forward dash or air dash like the rest of the cast he has to rely on this uh command dash where he kind of like fizzles a little bit out of existence and then uh reappears in front of people very fast um which also fills up this blood meter and if if he fills it all the way he'll like take off his really cool mask and um he'll enter this blood rage state where like his sword attacks um his slash and high slash attacks are like super like their, their range and their attack power is crazy but he during this blood rage state which lasts for about five to six seconds i want to say his health constantly depletes at a very rapid pace but you can also cancel that if you if you do a certain super uh in it as well but you need to have like you know build up meter for for that uh, I, I, have a, I, have, I haven't explained it like on five question does guilty gear do the street fighter thing where they rotate some characters through or is it like a fresh cast every game? Uh, so some are definitely mainstays, like Soul Bad Guy, Kai Kiski. They're like the, I guess the Ryu and Ken equivalents of uh, Street Fighter, where they're always in every entry because they're like the main two characters. Um, but but they, they usually have uh, mostly the majority of the cast has in, in uh, previous entries, but like one or two brand new ones. So like a, a lot of the mainstays, like Faust, Potemkin, Chip, Milia Rage. Like they're they've been there for forever in the Guilty Gear um, roster, but like uh, recent ones like Ram Lethal and Leo were in the previous entry Exert and Exert Revelator, while the two new characters exclusive to Strive making their uh, debut in the Guilty Gear verse are the, is this Nagori Yuki fellow and Giovanna, uh, and Giovanna is really cool as well because she has like this uh, like wolf spirit. That hangs out with her, and you can use it in battle as well. Um, lo- long story short, I think the big, big, um, significant thing about Guilty Gear Strive is that Arc System Works is finally adopting um, rollback into this uh, into the main game. Like uh, they kind of did a little thing with um, working with some of the uh, fan community and get- getting the rollback in Guilty Gear XS. Uh, XXX and Core Plus R 
it's an older entry even before exert and that uh, officially came out a few months back and people really like that like rollback netcode for fighting games has been more important more than ever because obviously of the pandemic people can't hold offline events and a lot of like the competitive play is held online and that's very very hard to do with a delay based netcode so this open beta is to test out this rollback netcode that was it that was uh made in-house by arc system works now with like you know the fan community on the for plus r so the 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 results so far for a lot of people have been amazing like uh even connectivity from like east coast us to japan like is very good like people play it and then they're like yeah this feels great like that even though the like the the actual ping is like within you know 120 ms to 150 ms like the, this this netcode so far as far uh, as far as people can tell is very stable uh, up to like 300 ping which is amazing uh relative to like you know other fighting games and whatnot so it's but been they've had, but they've had issues with like the servers or something yeah the, the actual servers like you know is held fights are are held peer-to-peer when you challenge another person so when you the the connectivity between you and another person is peer to peer, and they'll use that rollback netcode. But actual the actual servers where all these fights are held, like, is uh, unstable because of the influx of people. It was working fine, you know, for the pre-order beta. Uh, beta cause I pre-ordered this game, and you know, it was working fine. But now you have this influx of people. That's like it's available to every PS4 and PS5 user now. It's it's getting hit hard. It's very up and down uh ever since then and hopefully you know they'll extend the beta to um hopefully to compensate for that time and whatnot hopefully like my my wish but my, my, my realistic wish is for them to extend it to like a week and that'd be great my my unrealistic wish is to just keep the beta open until the official launch in april <laughs> uh but that's probably not going to happen yeah i i almost put in the uh, podcast stock this is where my uh, guilty gear strive beta impressions would be if i had them because <laughs> yeah it's freaking beta yeah uh, i hope i hope more people get uh, get their hands on it. it's 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 weird because this this strive is not like unlike past guilty gear games in the way you play it and the way its flow is it's a, it's a much more grounded game like uh, jumping is still really strong, but it's not much of an air game to it. It's a very ground based, and uh, and getting uh, used to the new um, routes and combos in it is uh, for like older characters is going to take some time. Like in like in older Guilty Gears, like the, there's these things called Gatlings, and the, the, these these Gatlings are just basically basic combos where you can just like chain like uh, like in Street Fighter, you have like low punch. Uh, not light punch, light kick, medium punch, uh, heavy punch, whatever, and you can chain those together um, in some sort of matter. And uh, guilty gear, you have these gatlings where you have like punch, kick, slash, and high slash, and like they would like you know punch, kick, high slash, and high slash would be able to go flow into each other in some way, way or form. And in this, in in strive, it's much more restricted, where like it'd be more like slash, slash, high slash instead. So it's not so it's it's more of a de-emphasis on like the punch and kick buttons, which I, I know this probably doesn't make sense to a lot of people who don't play it. It's, it's okay, but I'm just kind of like airing and venting my thoughts on on uh, 
what I've played so far. But other than that, I mean, it's 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 a wonderful beta. Once you know, it actually gets to working. I played a lot of training mode. I've played a decent amount of you know the open lobbies. The lobby system itself is still not great. They're doing these pixelated sprites and the floor base thing where you have to like hold square to take out your weapon and then you have to wait for people to like challenge you and whatnot or you have to go up to them and that's they i wish they would just go back to the old system where it was just like that chibi avatar thing and you're going around lobbies and then you sit down at a arcade cabinet and then wait for people to like just join you there this one is kind of i'm not digging the aesthetic but it's a I don't know. It's a, it's been a really really fun beta so far. I hope they extend it, and I wanna I, I wanna be able to like learn new characters. I've only just been really playing Nagori Yuki um, for the most part. I've played a little bit of Giovanna. She's cool, but I, I also wanna try out Milia. I wanna try out well, not try out. I mean, I, I know how to play Kai, so I, I could always retreat back to Kai because he's always strong. It feels like it's a. The, the, also, this week has been filled with Arxis for me. Uh, this week saw the release of what we were talking a few podcast episodes earlier. Um, this Blaze Blue Alternative Dark War mobile. Oh, game. That, so in the podcast document, uh, Josh had written like BB dot dot dot, and I didn't know he had another thing to talk about. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> um, yeah. So th- this game is not not necessarily by Arxis themselves. I think the development is by Linked Brain or something. I'm not. I forgot who the developers were, but it's published by Arxis, um, and it's the next installment in the Blaze Blue series. It is not a fighting game. It is a turn-based RPG that works as a sequel prequel to the blaze blue um storyline and uh, i'm not gonna go over what happens in blaze blue too but that there when you first start yeah let's just say when you first start blaze blue even the first entry the calamity trigger game they always reference that about this dark war that the events that happen first in like in the main games always happens after this dark war and this mobile game serves to um, introduce that and uh, give you the details of like what happened in that dark war. Um, as for gameplay, um, this is a little bit of a... It's kind of like Fate Grand Order and a little bit like Princess Connect Redive, um, where in battle you have these... You have up to four characters... And you can slot them into different formations. So when you go to the party screen in this game, you'll have six slots, three for front, three for rear. And you have it uh, upwards to four people in battle. So you can have like, you know, three people in the front, one in the rear, or two in the front, two in the rear, or one in the front, three in the rear, and whatnot. And they have um, different specialties and like formations that they excel in. Like one character will be. Really, really good at the front, serving as like a tank or a guard character. Um, one, one might uh, specialize in the rear and like have support spells and support skills and whatnot. And even their their formation and sense of like, like uh, Jin Kisaragi is like one of the main characters in the Blaze Blue um, story. And like his uh, one of his characteristics is like uh, he'll gain like a passive attack boost or critical boost if he's surrounded by two characters. So even slotting him in. So even there's even modifiers and how, how you position them. So you have to position him like in the front in between two characters 
because that's where he'll he'll shine most with his uh, characteristic modifiers and whatnot. And in, in battle, you have uh, these actions for each character: the revolver, drive, special, and extra. And each turn, you're, you can uh, you can uh, attack up to four times, chaining combos together in between these characters. Uh, and the, each attack command uh, will do different things, like revolver will fill up your uh, overdrive gauge, uh, drive will uh, fill up your super meter at the bottom, special has like different characters, special effects, uh, and extra is always activated at the end of a combo and whatnot. So you're you kind of have to like uh, balance out how much you want to fill up these gauges because they'll help you a lot in battle. Like once you reach fifty percent in this overdrive gauge, once you activate it, you're able to double the amount of attacks you, you can do for a turn. So now you can uh, uh, for this one turn after you activate it, you now can attack up to eight times. And if you uh, fill up like a bar of a super meter at the bottom, you can activate like a super attack as well. And uh, a lot of it is kind of, you know, it revolves around that essentially of kind of you're balancing how much you want to fill up these um, meters along with uh, how much damage you want to deal in battle. So it's a, it's a fairly simplistic system once you get the hang of it, but I kind of like how flexible it, it can be with how, how you strategize things. Um, the 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 neat thing about this game, I, it's kind of weird because it's like I don't hate this game. I I came in into this game fully expecting to hate it uh, and whatnot. Because what I want out of Blaze was a new fighting game, not really a turn based RPG. But um, th this is a gotcha game, of course. So you roll for characters, you roll for special, you know, magic cards and whatnot to, uh, to you can equip the battle. And there there are three rarities in the gotcha system. There's uh, SS. Uh, S and AI, which is just A, the A rarity, like the lowest rarity. But what you can uh, do with these uh, characters is you can actually raise their rarity uh, with like dupe uh, shards you get from like uh, either getting duplicates of them in the gacha, or you can buy them in the shop with like currency that you get from ascending characters and whatnot. So it's like you know, just because you got like a, a, a quote unquote weak AI character uh, early on uh, doesn't mean they're completely useless. Um, you can uh, ascend them uh, to higher rarities, and like they'll gain new abilities to higher rarity. They are obviously more damage as well. And even in some of them, my teams right now, I have like AI characters in them because they work um, well against like certain elemental types uh, in this game. So, uh, like, uh, what's very important in this game as you play play more of it is like assembling different teams to go against different elements of uh, enemies and. Uh, and whatnot, and, so, and that's a big modifier because, like, you're doing like an extra, like, fifty percent damage or something against every character that or enemy that you're uh, hitting them, and they're weak against your character and whatnot, and then vice versa. Like when you when they attack, you'll gain reduced damage if they're if you're strong against that type. Um, it's a uh, I don't know. There's something about it that's like it just feels satisfying to go through. I guess I think I think the the weird the weirdest. Um, beef i have with the game and i'm kind of surprised this made it into the final releases every time you uh a, an attack hits an opponent it'll flash the screen white for a split second and it's like very bright 
So like if I have this like going on fast forward auto, like I have to turn away from the screen because there's just a lot of flashing lights as every character attacks, and it like it kind of makes my head hurt. And I kind of surprised that was able to make it to the final release because Japan is usually very sensitive to like uh, flashing screens ever since that like Porygon episode of the original. So, Pokemon. Yeah. So you, as you've been talking about this, I uh, I'm pulling up some gameplay to look at it just so I can visualize it in my head. First of all, it had to be it was very hard to actually find gameplay. Like, find okay, here's the anime opening. Okay, here's like a character overview. All right, here's some gameplay finally. And I didn't notice it until you mentioned it, but yeah, like sometimes right before a character attacks, they'll like enter a pose and there'll be a white flash, and then they'll hit the enemy three times and it'll flash on two of them. So yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's like it, like some characters have like three or four like impacts in their one attack, and it's like it'll flash white every time. It's like, oh man, you need to calm down. All right, so uh, okay, so a character. This is gonna sound really stupid, but a character okay. with like pink hair with a little what's what's that? What's that thing called where, you, where an anime character has like a single strand of hair that's curled up above their head? Uh, a whole gaze? Just, just, yeah. A, a, uh, a girl with pink hair in one of those like casts a bunch of like electric bolts at some enemy and it flashes the screen like 10 times. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, hopefully they, they solve that. I, I, I imagine people have already complained about this. Uh, the, the, also, the weird thing about this game is for people who really like, People who are already into the Blaze Blue story already know this, but a prerequisite to like understand it too is like you have to uh, read this visual novel called I think it was called X Blaze Code Embryo. I forgot if there's only one of those or two of those. Okay, there was two, and th- those are those are like directly linked into the Blaze Blue universe. And even in this game, they have characters from the X Blaze series already in it, interacting with the characters and whatnot. So you have like Kuan from there. Um, obviously, S was S eventually made it into Blaze Blue uh, with Central Fiction, but it's like you know, the, you, there's like so many barriers of entry to even like understand what's happening. Like right now, it's kind of early goings on like what's going on in the story, but it's it's weird. It's weird. You you make this like obviously player insert silent protagonist um, at the very beginning of the game. It's kind of like new to like this whole thing. And what's going on? It's like okay, and like the real main character is this uh, seal girl, and and also the the they also have justifications. Of course they do. They also have justifications of like why uh, certain characters from like further on down the timeline of the continuity are joining you in battle because they're Chrono Phantasmas. They're not like the real thing, you know, and that's a whole deal. So they even like have justifications like you know, like offhand comments like why are these people like joining us in battle? It's like oh they're Chrono Phantasmas, and it expects you to know that. If you don't know that, then there's no hope. There's no hope. So I I, I don't know. I guess I'll continue playing it because I I kind kind of find it fun in a weird way. I don't know. I feel like a broken. I feel like a broken human being every time I I play this game. And yeah, you just go on. It's not officially announced in English, but the Japanese version is playable in English, basically. Mm, it's not. It's not in English at all. I mean, you can you can oh. play it on English devices, but like because you know the, the there are there are ways around the the region lock. There there are definitely storefronts where you can just download the APK of this game to run it. But there's like there there's not really any English. There are there are like all some... right. I, I didn't I didn't know if it was gonna be like a, what is it Grand Blue or it's no, just, it's no. all in English anyway. All right. No. I, I wish, but no, it's not like Grand Blue Ridge. There's the English option. The only English you have in it is in some of the 
the menus it'll have like what it says in english underneath it like it's like like it says like you know uh event quest in in, in uh in japanese and then under it'll say event quest in english but other than that that's all there's no like story translation or english script of the game outside of that i don't know it's one of those guilty pleasures i have right now i don't i don't wow. understand it all too much sometimes i don't know I mean, you probably, you guys probably feel the same way when I uh, talk about like Guild Wars or Fantasy Star. We all have those guilty pleasures. That one, that one you can feel good about. This one, I don't feel good about it at all. But uh-huh. I'm just like, yeah, let's play. <laughs> and everyone's like just shaking their head and be like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. Well, that covers us for what games we've been playing. Oh, well, for, for the only three of us being here, we got a good, good amount of time out of that. We're going to the news section here, and we always we already talked about like the main highlight of this Nintendo Direct, obviously being, well at least for our site, being the Project Triangle strategy. Though I guess you could argue like in general that was like the most surprising thing. Yeah, I mean, I I, I always I'm always down for like announcements of new games, like you know remasters and re-releases are cool, and I like them. Or sequels <laughs> or whatever. Here's yeah, a new idea. Yeah. Yeah, new stuff is always fun to get excited about. Speaking of remasters, mm-hmm. we have an announcement for Legend of Mana HD to release for PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch, and PC on June 24th. Obviously, for the uh, Nintendo Direct, it was announced for Switch, and then a trailer on Square Enix's website showed that it's also coming for PlayStation 4 and PC. And this is an HD remaster of Legend of Mana. Uh, it's the fourth entry in the Mana series, originally released on PlayStation back in 1999. We got it here in the West in 2000. It never did officially release in Europe. Uh, has anyone played this? I know Adam has. I have. I wish he was here. Oh, you have? Yeah, it's a really cool game. I really, really like Legend of Mana. Legend of Mana is one of those like weird, somewhat nonlinear like, uh, entries in the Mana series, so a lot of people like couldn't wrap their head around it like you know way back when because it's kind of a complicated game to a certain extent um the 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 system that really uh makes it kind of stand out from any rpg is like there's this land creation system in it where you kind of get these artifact items and it even shows in the trailer where you'll see like an overview of the world map in front of the characters kind of like a scroll and you plop down these artifacts and then you, you um so you can go to them and you know it's 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 very valuable like where you can put them and what you can obtain from them and that that's kind of where people can get lost uh, in it is they don't really it doesn't really point you the path forward necessarily all the time that like you got kind of get a hint at it but it's kind of up to you to decide how you want to progress through it um it looks i'm very very surprised at like how faithful they are to the original visuals um in this remaster, like people have been doing comparison shots, and it looks just gorgeous. I'm really psyched that they um, preserved the the look of the game, the feel of the game. It feels, it looks amazing. I'm I'm really I'm really happy about this. Um, the obviously along with the visuals, they'll have a rearranged soundtrack, and um, I, I guess I for, I totally forgot about this, but. In the press release, they said that the Ring Ring Land minigame will be available in the West for the first time. So I totally forgot that we didn't, the localized version of that in the West didn't have that. And they also, they didn't, they they didn't highlight this, but in the trailer for it, they do show, well, maybe if it's in the trailer, they did highlight it, but they didn't draw a lot of attention to it. 
that they showed a few toggles for like random encounters and things like that. Yeah. So it will have some like quality of life modernization or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so that's always cool to see. Yeah. Um, it'll be a uh, 29.99 digitally on all three systems. And I guess if you order it early, you get like wallpapers and stuff, but just cool to have a game be made. It's always cool to have a game be made available rather than saying like oh if you want to play this you, know, you better get your uh your playstation one out or talk to james about how to emulate it <laughs> so it's <laughs> no, cool that'll be available for switch play it handheld mode i'm interested to see how uh, where people land on it now now that we're so far away from like you know people for the most part uh have gotten older and you know um a lot of the systems in this game still will take a, a bit to wrap their head around but hopefully people will you know, give this game a shot. Have like a greater appreciation of like what it did back then. It looks I, I, gorgeous. Legend of Mana feels like an underrated Mana game to me. Like Sega Zetsu Three Three is awesome. I love it. Um, but like, it, it's always weird that like people never really mention the Legend of Mana because I, I guess it's because like it's it's such a a complex game and and so very different from the rest of those. Yeah, so if second is a two three or Trials of Mana is the third, I guess anyone who's played the remake of that, this is technically the next game. Though obviously this would be like from the, I guess the collection of Mana with the first three would be the more suitable like yeah, lead in point to going into this. Not, yeah, there's not a remake or reimagining like the Trials of Mana. Like Trials of Mana like had both because you had the one in collection of Mana, which is right. a straight like port almost, but kind of touched up. But this is not like re-envisioning as like a 3d open action or like you know game it's like. remastered faithfully it's try not yeah. trying to like change it's it's not final fantasy 6 on steam let's put, let's put it that way yeah 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 so i had not i have not played a mana game so maybe i should grab the collection of mana and go through it i'll have to have, i'll have to get adam to convince me at some point to do that <laughs> But yeah, that is coming out in June. So we're starting to slowly populate the back half of the year. Well, I guess technically that's on the first half of the year, but past uh, the, the April, May with these uh, releases that we didn't know anything about. I, I guess um, one final thing uh, as I was reading up on this too, uh, uh, M2 is behind this uh, conversion for Legend of Mana. Just, uh, they're, they're pretty... They're, they're pretty good at what they do, let's say, on the re-releasing re and re- uh, mastering uh, like uh, like. Uh, Do you know of another game that they've done? Uh, M2 has done a lot of arcade conversions, so uh, I'd have to uh, search up a wiki page. But they've done uh, they're highly regarded uh, compared to like say .mu. Gotcha. On a similar front, we also got a date for Saga Frontier remastered. So this was already announced. It was announced back in November to be coming out this year. Uh, it was originally slated for a summer date. But now we've learned through the Nintendo Direct that it'll come out on April 15th. And that is actually earlier than summer. So that's a bit of a surprise that it got pushed up. They didn't really share a whole lot because with the announcement of Saga Frontier Remastered, they already announced that they're adding some cut content to one of the characters, that they're um, adding an eighth character. Uh, I forget what the eighth character's new name is. Um, a fuse. Fuse. Fuse, that's it. Um, so... The Direct was really just like 30 seconds of footage in the date, so there really wasn't a ton to talk about, but hey, April 15th, that's... I forgot, if they, announced, away. I forgot if they announced that this would be $25 in the initial announcement as well, or if that's new. 
Oh, but, I, that might be new. But yeah, Saga. For, we've we've had people on the, the the cast before talk about talk up Saga. Though I don't know if anyone's played specifically Saga Frontier. I played Saga Frontier way back oh, when. Of cool course, yeah. <laughs> I right. played a lot of old school RPGs way more than I like to admit. But that's why you're uh, here. Yep. But it's it's one of those games that like it is established a lot of uh, branching narratives. Like it had like the whole. Uh, freeform system where you, you can play as one of eight people and they have their own storyline and goals and whatnot and sometimes you may, might beat them along the way it's a uh, it's not necessarily a non-linear narrative it's just like you kind of pick and choose as you go who you want to play it'd be cool to have uh, revisit this and then have Legend of Mana not long after it or for some someone like me who's a liar and an imposter I'll, I'll be able to play these for the first time <laughs> Why am I here? They're they're fun games. I'm glad that you know, it's a good time even if you haven't played them. Like to just revisit like some old school RPGs and and again just making them convenient and available. And the I only just, so that's that's coming out for the same systems, but also for uh, mobile, iOS and Android. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know. I I want to. A lot of people have been very divisive and mixed over how Saga Frontier Remastered. Looks. I I, I want to see it in motion in front of me to see where I'll land on it because right now I'm just like it doesn't really bother me that much. But a lot of people are like it looks blurred, looks weird. I'm like I don't know, I don't know. It, it reminds me of how people talked about um, Grandia Remaster, or they try to touch it up, and you're like, oh, I wish you didn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but it's, I I guess I'm kind of ignorance is bliss sort of thing. I don't have like the original envisioning in my head, so I'm like, oh, that's just how it looks like. I guess I could go on, you know, YouTube or whatever and try to f- compare it for myself. But uh, why don't I just say ignorant and just say it looks fine? Uh, it's just it's just one of those things. Like, yeah, if you played so many pixel-based games, like as a as a kid, you have like a strong affinity for them in your head. Whether that's a good or bad thing, you know, it's up to every person to decide that. We'll keep going through the announcements that are made at the uh, direct. Not not particularly an RPG announcement, really, but tangentially so. We got new characters for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. We got Pyra and Mithra announced at the same time. So yeah. I think a lot of people were like expecting this for a while or expecting like Rex and Pyra or, or something like that. Uh, no Rex, which a lot of people have been cheering about. It's just Pyra and Mithra. As That is so funny, the, the way they introduced this at the very beginning of the Connect uh, or uh, Direct. Um, because uh, us at the staff, uh, RPG site staff, like a bunch of us, like group watched it together and whatnot, and they opened it with Xenoblade Chronicles. Two. Was like, is this a new expansion? It's weird. I don't know. Are they doing like a Torna thing again? We're kind of like kind of wrapping our heads around it because. But like, at, to, to be fair to our intelligence, after about like eight or ten seconds, we're like, no, wait, this is probably smashed. <laughs> yeah. We caught yeah. on, but we we had that brief moment of you know just letting our imaginations get ahead of us. And then the so, way they poke the Rex can't catch a break, dude, because they, they yeah. never stop making fun of it. It's like I got an invitation to to, uh, to smash Rex, and you didn't. Pyra's <laughs> just like, ah. um, cool. I mean, sure, why not? They're they're very popular characters uh, uh, these days, and th- th- I, I really like Pyra and Mithra. I really like the game they come from. Uh, it they have like a transformation mechanic in battle where you can switch between one or the other and have different moves from the game. So cool. Uh, I'm all for it. This is a this is a fun announcement. It seems kind of like a no brainer. Like as big as Xenoblade is, these are two characters that are very distinctive and fit very well in a, in a fighting game. So 
it is cool funny. That they that they him. <laughs> I think the biggest surprise is just like, nah, fuck Rex. <laughs> just, nah. Well, I guess they had their finger in the pulse there. They, uh, they realized that. Well, it's kind of weird though because, like, with the same mindset, they still they still picked Byleth over any of the three houses' lords. Mm-hmm. That's not quite the same thing, but I feel like you've got these three like really charismatic characters, and then you've got. By left, and then here you've got Pyra and Mithra, and then you've got Rex. But they made the uh, right decision this time. They made like a weird conceit with Violeth, though, because Violeth can, can like wield the, the three lords' weapons as part of his or her moveset. Yeah. So it's uh, is there is there one character left in this last fighter pass, or the I think two? there's two more? I think uh-huh. there's two more, and then who, who knows? Who knows what they'll be? So the next time we see Monolith Soft in a Nintendo Direct, that's when it's time to get hyped. For uh, Xenoblade X on Switch. I hope so, man. I, I cross my fingers and toes every day. I'm like, come on, this this game deserves another chance. To... Please, I beg of you. If it comes to Switch, I will play it. I'm ready to 100% it again. A couple other smaller things near the end of the direct. We got some very light details about a Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity expansion pass. This was literally like up on, on the screen for like 20 seconds. Then they splash a bunch of text up and then they like, uh, well, there was a little bit of a tiny cinematic going into it. Uh, they didn't state this outright, but the expansion pass details, it'll come in two waves in June and November. Expanded roster, new weapons, you know, new, new enemies. The very typical DLC like Gamut. Uh, the trailer leading into this focuses a lot on Robbie and Pura, who uh, also are in the art for the expansion pass, so it's kind of like all but confirmed that they're going to be added as playable characters. Uh, new battle skills. It's 20 bucks. If you pre-order it, the expansion pass, you'll get an extra weapon and costume for Link. Not too exciting, but maybe for those that are really into Age of Calamity, there's more stuff to look forward to. They'll be supporting it through this winter, or leading up to this winter, with the second wave coming in November. So This, this kind of just encourages me to like hold off on playing this game uh, honestly like it's like i can just wait for till it gets like all of its content and hopefully by that time maybe there'll be some word of a more powerful switch to like run this at a decent frame rate too yeah it doesn't run well especially in a split screen multiplayer uh while we're on legend of zelda i guess we can talk about skyward sword hd announced this is uh, one of those things which is like a safe bet sort of thing. Like this was going to happen at some point, if not now, then next year sort of thing. So Skyward Sword HD, uh, they basically introduced this by basically saying, yeah, it's, uh, it's an anniversary, but we don't have anything to show on Breath of the Wild 2. Please be patient. <laughs> so here, uh, enjoy uh, Skyward Sword HD. And then they that tried like to a, do a... Go ahead. That felt like a kick in the shin to Numa. I was like, you know, I know you're all waiting for it. So here's Skyward Sword as I don't know an apology, even though that's kind of like the apology is just like not. I don't know. Skyward Sword is. I didn't hate it. I just thought it was okay. It was fine, but I, I like Wind Waker more than it. I like Twilight Princess more than it. Uh, I like that's most. A thing. Yeah, it's yeah. Like I, I prefer almost every other Zelda over Skyward Sword. So it's kind of weird, though, because they went into this kind of saying, like, but Skyward Sword set the groundwork for Breath of the Wild because there is, like, a paraglider, sort of, and that you <laughs> there's a stamina mechanic when you climb. So there, like, this is the proto-Breath of the Wild. But then um, this is actually kind of interesting. 
Alex Donaldson, our boss, but also is an editor at VG247, he basically wrote a feature there saying that, and I agree with him, that Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild, despite them trying to like say, no, they're really similar, or at least like one led to the other, it almost feels like Breath of the Wild was almost an apology to Skyward Sword. Skyward Sword was very like on rails, I guess, for lack of a better idiom. Yeah, it, like the, the the tutorials took forever, and that's you know that's, that's something all people will always complain about. But it really it it, it like you know they're, they're right that the tutorials did take forever. In it, it's but yeah, Skyward Sword is just so very like curated. Like you will go through this dungeon, but in order to get to this dungeon, you have to follow this predefined path. You cannot really go off the path because the game is designed kind of like to lock you to like the treads that the developer set for you. With the exception like of a few things in Skyloft, but Skyloft, I remember even at the time, like, okay, you know, this is going to be a, another like modern version of Wind Waker's Islands, only it's like somehow even worse. Like the Wind Waker's Islands being relatively sparse and like one per grid and most of them have like one treasure chest or whatever. I still think there's a lot of islands there with like a lot of cool secrets and like you, you end up going to them to find a lot of heart pieces or whatever. But then like the sky in Skyward Sword, there's like six rocks and like yeah. one is the city. One is like the, the 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 mini game that you play like on the rotating platform. Yeah. There's a couple that you like land on a spot and then hook shot to a chest. It's like the, the, okay, like, the, the, this, this HD re-release too is just like it feels so bare bones because the only okay here's the only thing you're really getting out of this hd re-release is besides it being like available uh, easily again is uh one it runs at 60 fps consistently two you can now you uh, play the game with buttons only and you control the sword with the right analogs because the game was gyro based so it had to you know they couldn't you'd have to redesign the whole game if, uh, if you if you if it was only like but it didn't allow that. I have a question about that, though. Maybe this is obvious, but if I'm moving Link and I'm moving him with a left stick and I want to swing left to right, so I hold right on the right stick, how do I swing? Like, my hands are occupied. I think you flip the stick in the direction you want to swing. Oh, you, oh, when you yeah. flip the stick from left to right on the right hand, it's like, uh... Yeah, that's... that's that, that, seems, always... that seems like a really easy way to accelerate stick drift. Yeah, it's smashing, smashing that stick in every direction. Oh, yeah, you're right. And then obviously you can play it like the Wii Motion Plus version with the Joy-Cons, mm -hmm. which I didn't, I didn't hate, but I, I just, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I was one of the care people that it just, it worked for me. Like I know some people, maybe it's because they're left-handed or maybe it's because of signals in their home or whatever, that it just never works. Like, it, like it's absolutely broken. For me, it worked, but I, but I'd been in, it worked, but I didn't enjoy it. Like, okay, I guess this works, but I'd rather just you know press buttons. And I, and I, and and so you get that. Those are like the only big two changes. I don't know if like a I'm slight resolution bump. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, does this look any different? And then you watch a comparison, you're like, oh, I guess the original game was a bit blurrier than this. And, and then, but, and then, and then you have to still pay sixty dollars, a full sixty dollars for this package. And that's a that's such a weird thing too, because like, I don't, I don't know if this is worth sixty dollars just for that. And also, like, especially when you, especially when you. For the game, a golden Wii Remote Plus and a soundtrack CD, and it's like, no, just no. Especially when you compare it to like their Mario re-releases of like the, the of the their limited time 
Mario 64, Sunshine, and Galaxy. Yeah, like that was a fucking ripoff for 3D All-Stars to begin with, but this makes the 3D All-Stars look like a great deal. Yeah, man, I don't, I don't know. This is kind of, this, this is weird. This is fucked a bit. I don't think I'm as down on it as you guys, but it is kind of like it's a hard sell. Like if you've never played Skyward Sword, I guess now you can. But it would have been nice if it was like a twenty nine ninety nine or forty dollar release or something like that. It's just, yeah, I guess uh, we've also got the sting of being like, all right, we're waiting. We're really waiting for Breath of the Wild too. Like, here's, <laughs> yeah, what you, here's, here's what you get this year. This. Just a, I, I'm still kind of baffled the marketing angle they they introduce uh, they introduced this with. Like you said earlier, it's like we wouldn't have gotten the Breath of the Wild without Skyward Sword. So you better like pay respects to Skyward Sword. It's like. No, no way. <laughs> the fuck? Like, uh, the only thing I'll give, like, Skyward Sword is, like, some of the later dungeons after you're done with, like, the initial, like, first, like, two thirds of the game are, like, pretty all right. And the music is pretty good. But other than that, I didn't, I didn't have a great time with Skyward Sword, man. I feel like I there's, like, a bunch of, like, ideas in a vacuum that are really cool in Skyward Sword, like the, uh, whatever they're called, the, like, time stone things. That yeah. was a really cool mechanic. But, and there's like a ton of stuff like that. Like you can tell that they put a lot of creativity into it and they did like put their all into making Skyward Sword. It's just like, I'm not sure if you look at it as a package as a whole, how well it holds up. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I would like to it, but I'm not paying $60 for it. This, the, the, this is one of those, like, it, it, this would feel a lot better if it was like bundled with like, like Ocarina, Majora, and Twilight of some sort of have a, like a, a Zelda 3D All Stars or whatever. Or yeah, like they could maybe do like up-res versions of the 3DS remakes of those two games, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. Now I want that. That's what we'll get next year as an apology. <laughs> the apology for Skyward Sword Two again. <laughs> Skyward Sword, I feel like, is a game that had a very clear vision and a very like, in, what's the word? very deliberately designed like it's not you could argue it's poorly made because of the motion controls sure but it's like i feel like it's exactly what the developers wanted it to be but it's just a misfire mostly so it's kind of in a weird place like that the last thing we'll mention that was announced at nintendo directs was actually something that was exclusive to the japanese side nintendo direct the caligula effect 2 going off for switch and playstation 4 but uh, for the for the nintendo direct it's it was announced for switch yeah. uh coming out on june 24th in japan uh i guess i really don't have much more to say on this because i've never played it i've only heard bad things but it's now <laughs> coming out to uh these modern consoles or i say modern consoles but it's ps4 so uh last gen consoles <laughs> i don't know i mean like it's supposedly just a cult following like uh, apparently there were people excited for this when we announced it like on uh, twitter and then like see the comment section it's like yeah finally caligula again it's like okay i guess and then people are like uh persona 2 uh, fans watch out for this one it's like no dude even the plot of the original like i know i understand it was like written by the persona 2 dude but it wasn't literally that great of a story like i wasn't really convinced by it and then and somehow like the original original Vita release was like so bad they had to like make a remake of it and then it somehow got a green lighted to for not only a remake but also with overdose but also got an anime adaptation 
and that like so so i feel like someone behind the scenes is blackmailing a higher up on like green lighting more caligula at some point it's just i don't i don't know man it never felt like a a brand that was popular enough to like get this many things i guess i don't maybe this will be the one it's like oh maybe this is secretly game of the year they finally nailed it who knows yeah, I wish I could say more about it, but I just the people that are in my circle, whenever they talk about the Caligula effect or overdose or whatever, it's never really with high praise. It also feels like there's almost the same premise too, because it's like, oh, they're in like a high school again, and there's like this virtual idol again, and that was a lot of the first Caligula. Like the setup for this, that first glance is like, oh, they're it looks very similar and identical to the first Caligula. Great, awesome. Just what we wanted. Yeah, so obviously Caligula Effect 2 has not been announced for the West. I don't know how likely that is. It seems likely, but nothing to talk about this time. Sure. This coming, I don't know. Did they announce release date for this in Japan? Like Yeah, uh, June, uh yeah, June twenty-fourth. June twenty-fourth. Okay. Great. Awesome. Uh, very happy for the Caligula fans. All five of you. Now I feel bad. <laughs> if, you, if you like, if you like Caligula, let us know. Tell us why we're wrong. Tell us why we should be really excited for Caligula Effect okay. Two. Yeah, I mean, obviously there must be Caligula fans. Uh, as I learned uh, in 2019, there are fans of pretty much well 2020. There's fans of damn near anything, even Ark of Alchemist. Somehow. No, you're mm-hmm. wrong. There's no Ark of Alchemist fans that exist. <laughs> I don't believe that. I don't know, man. There was literally one in my review shitting on me for not liking the game. The game that has under a 40 on Metacritic. <laughs> you were you were supposed to bring that back up. You're supposed to lift the average. Should have been a failed. Yes. That kind of covers it. There were other things announced uh, at the Nintendo Direct, like Mario Golf got a sequel. What was that called? Super Strike? That's not it. Super Rush. Super Rush. Uh, and that actually had like some quasi RPG mechanics and like a story mode. So why yeah, not? Maybe like, we, like, we kind of go ahead. It literally has an RPG aspect of it, considering like the the older like handheld Mario Golf games had RPG like story modes and then with actual stats and level ups and like the story mode here actually has like level ups and stats. So hopefully it's not as short and bare bones as the story mode in Mario Tennis. Oh yeah, that that was tragic, dude. I was so bummed out at that. Yeah, uh, I tried to forget I, about it. Yeah, I'm I'm tempering my expectations because I'm sure it's never going to be as good as the story mode in uh, Mario Golf Advanced Tour. Nothing is, but uh, here's hoping it's still good. I mean, yeah, yeah. They're they're also just honest of it's like, yeah, the story mode. You're playing like you're a me character. Like, great, cool, thanks. <laughs> we also got like Metopia is coming uh-huh. to Switch in May. Uh, what else? Is that um, it? No More Heroes 3. Oh, yeah, we, we, we got some. Yeah, No More Heroes 3 with lawnmower gameplay. Uh, we got some more. We got up. We got actually got a pretty decent chunk of footage from Monster Hunter Rise. So I'm yeah. the sort of person that like I play the demo of Rise. I know I probably want to put some time into it. I don't really need like this drip feed of information, but some people, maybe James is more like excited about what they showed here. So they introduced two new monsters, Rachna, Kadaki, and Almudron, and then five returning monsters, a few of them I recognize, like Rajang and Diablos. So just kind of 
filling out what the roster of monsters is for this game. Uh, we've already talked about how like I'm really pumped about how uh, how varied it is compared to World. But so we've got that footage from the direct as well. Yep. I was expecting. I was like, okay, here's where I let James speak if he saw anything like really enlightening. <laughs> well, I'm not really thinking too deeply about Monster Rise now because it's like etching closer and closer to when I'll be able to actually play it. So it's like, yeah, I mean, sure, more information. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we have a similar mindset where I'm like, all right, I've already played the demo. I already know like what the game is. Like, you tell me what's in the like what monsters are in the game. Like, okay, I guess that's cool. Yeah, I don't. Exactly. I don't. Yeah, at this point, it's just, it's just around the corner. It's only like a few weeks now. Like, it, it, we'll get all played eventually. It's just like, the, the, I'm, I'm with the James and you here. I'm just like, you know, it, more info is cool for the people who want it, but I just, at this point, I just want to play the actual game. Let's all right, to be, less, to be less cynical and dismissive, I will say that riding around on Rajang as it shoots like that thunderbolt out of its mouth, that's pretty cool. With yeah. the new like mounting system with the wire bugs. So, yeah. There's also a few cutscenes here showing story premise. I don't know if anyone really like uh, the, goes uh, really hard into story about Monster Hunter, but yeah, apparently like the the assistance with the Hime cuts can like join you in the battle. It's like all right, this looks like a good video game. Awesome. Yeah, just about a three minute trailer showing new monsters, some footage. Pretty cool. Game's coming out next month. About a month from uh, a month from next Friday. So this is really long. March. Oh, man. All right, we'll make it. That covers it for the Nintendo Direct. So we'll move on over into what was shown at BlizzCon Online a couple of days ago. Not as many things to talk about. Mainly, we're going to zero in on the Diablo series. So, of course, a lot of this was leaked ahead of time. And even before it was leaked, I think a lot of it was like speculated for years. But now it's true. It's official. It exists. A Diablo 2 remaster called Diablo 2 Resurrected is coming out this year. And it's coming out for basically everything under the sun. PS5, PS4, Xbox Series, Xbox One, Switch, and PC through, of course, the Battle.net uh, launcher. Uh, it includes you know, the uh, Lord of Destruction expansion pack. It has cross-progression for all platforms, which is really cool, especially if you get the Switch version to pair with like another version. Uh, and then also it does uh, the Halo thing uh, with, the, like, with the button toggle like the like the Master Chief Collection has, where you can go from the updated graphics to the original graphics at any point. Yeah, that's so. Really cool. By far, the biggest information about this is that the original version is not getting delisted. <laughs> they had yeah. to outright say that. Yeah, yeah so I I didn't realize this because with Warcraft Three Reforged, it like it ended up basically stepping on the toes of Warcraft Three's like online servers and clans and systems and. They're basically saying, no, that's not happening here. The classic Diablo 2, as it is, as it exists now, can still be played independent of Diablo 2 Resurrected. It, it very, also, they, they also confirmed that, the, just outright in the, in the press release as well, that this is by Vicarious Visions. They are the ones leading the development of this. Which, yeah, you know, it, it feels nice to be actually somewhat excited for a Blizzard project because, like... I feel like this is definitely going to be the definitive version of Diablo 2, whereas with Warcraft 3, obviously that did not turn out to be the case. Yeah. Well, uh, it was only a few weeks ago when we learned, or late January, Vicarious Visions to be merged wholly into Blizzard. So it's mm -hmm. weird how it's like, here's the first project under Blizzard wholly that they're putting their name on, and it's this year. So yeah. I wonder if they were I wonder if they were already like contracted to work on it, but now they're like working under it. 
like in a slightly different like legal position. I'm sure that's but, the case. But clearly, they have a really strong track like, record. Uh, the the ahead, transformation uh, of like what Diablo projects look like now in modern Blizzard is like the the one overseeing all the uh, Diablo projects, both both the uh, this Diablo Two Resurrected, Diablo Immortal, and Diablo Four is like by from a guy from Epic Games who worked under Gears of War, Rod Ferguson. Ferguson. You know, he's overseeing all of this, and now you have Vicarious Vision. It's kind of weird that, like, you kind of have, like, these, like, outside developers and talent, like, leading the charge on this. And right now, all of them look pretty good. And, like, Diablo 2 Resurrected, it looks... They've been saying all the right things. Like, Eurogamer has a very in-depth interview up uh, what you can expect from Diablo 2 Resurrected. You have some of the improvements they're adding, like, shared stashes. You don't have to make a mule character in between characters. They're, uh, they they have a way to uh, link items directly into the chat, so you can just hover over them and see what they do. They have um, like item comparisons and loot comparisons, so you can just like highlight new loot that you have and compare it to loot that you already have. Just like little tweaks, and they're, they're still preserving eight player co op in it. Um, they they'll have I think the thing that bubs me out, but you know a lot of people this won't apply to a lot of people is that they're preserving. Um, the current balance of Diablo 2 as is, they're not going to do another like balance pass over it. So, you know, you'll still have like a shitload of hammer dins uh, for hardcore runs. You'll have, you know, Warcry Barbarian still being very good, which, you know, a lot of people will, so a lot of people, this will be like kind of new to them because they haven't touched Diablo 2 in a while. But for Diablo 2 veterans, you know, like it's kind of like, okay, well, that's, that's neat uh, and whatnot. But I, I hope they allow for like, I don't know how they'd allow this, but they allow for mod support in this game to tweak the balance and uh, uh, let people customize the the way they want to play. So to allow for like balance, custom balance patches and whatnot. That's what or balance mods. Um, they talked about like you know preserving um, a lot of like the breakpoints in the original and keeping that because uh, like uh, as Brian said, what they're really doing to the visual is like it's a visual like. The, the visual enhancement engine uh, engine is later layered on top of the original game to allow for that quick swapping in between the two visuals. So, you know, a lot of what like governs the logistics in Diablo Two and uh, behind the scenes in between the gears is still preserved in that remaster. We just you know they basically said all the things that make it seem like it should be like a straight upgrade from Diablo Two original. Well, I know that that depends to see like how like all the real nitty gritty turns out, but they they're not doing the balance pass. They're not like they're not slathering their art style into something that doesn't re- resemble Diablo Two. It still looks like Diablo Two, uh, but 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 they're still being smart and keeping it separate from the original game. So uh, it'll be interesting to see like Diablo Two Resurrected played on original graphics mode versus Diablo Two Classic. Will the only difference be the, those quality of life differences, like the shared stash? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess also. I, also, I guess the cross progression on consoles is also another big thing. It's, but you know, even even the but the remaster visuals, like they look pretty good. They're pretty different, like especially for the world design. But I don't really mind it. I think I think it's a it's a nice it's a nice visual upgrade. Over it, yeah, I think so it looks. Good. I think it looks good. Like I don't think it like usurps. What Diablo 2 is supposed to look like and turns it into something else. I have played Diablo 2, not as much as you, but I played Diablo 2 when it came out when I was younger, and I've played Diablo 3 
maybe about like 50 hours of it. So not a ton, but put some time yeah, into played, that. Yeah, I played a good chunk of it. And I, I never, I, after, after the Reaper of Souls expansion, Diablo 3, I played, played through that, but not much more. I didn't mess with the Necromancer D3 or anything like that. Um, and then, as for, uh, I guess the, one of the things they uh, uh, spoke about too in the Eurogamer interview is about like the you know cross progression is cool, but what about cross play? And then uh, Rod Ferguson said it's like it's something they're continuing to look at, but it's not going to be something there at launch. So it's the possibility isn't like zero. Maybe it'll get added eventually, but you know as for now, as for launch, there'll be cross progression at least, which is very good. And keeping on the Diablo track, they also announced a new class for the upcoming Diablo 4. And this is the first class that they've announced for that game since the game itself was revealed back in 2019. And that is the Rogue. So the main trailer for the Rogue is just a few minutes where it's basically like a two-minute introductory cinematic like Blizzard kind of always does. Very kind of spooky and eerie and fitting for the character. And then they do like a little two minutes of gameplay montage kind of showing just in general the, the rogue using bows, using dual wielding like knives or swords, uh, a couple of different new environments, things like that. But then they go really into detail in another video that I that they uploaded called Diablo 4 What's Next. And I forget if this is a standalone or if this is part of a series of panels, uh, but it's a panel that they held for about 30 minutes where a bunch of the developers, uh, including the uh, game director, Luis Barriga, talk about the rogue, they talk about uh, their like the design philosophy behind it. Talk about the specializations they can go into. Um, and then they also kind of go into a little bit about the world design because Diablo Four is supposed to be slightly more like open world and less zone segmented. And they also talk about like these PvP areas, which I couldn't quite tell like what the title of these are, but they they refer to it in the in the um, panel as like fields of hatred, where they're kind of like I don't know the wilderness RuneScape or the Dark Zone and uh, Division. Where it's like it's part of the open world, but as soon as you go into that, you can combat other players. And uh, I think in like Diablo two, you actually had to like do like a you had to be either on like a dueling server or you had to initiate a duel in order to PvP. Where here it feels like it's a little bit more open. Like okay, if you're in this region, you are at risk. But you but if you you know if you take that risk, you can gather these you know useful materials to upgrade your gear or whatever. So there's a nice like if you really want to get into the details. There's like 30 minutes of footage where they show a bunch of gameplay of the Rogue, these new systems, and also uh, also mounts, which are shown in the Rogue trailer as well. Which is one of those things that I'm not sure fits in a Diablo game, but yeah, I don't know. It looks pretty cool to see like yeah. this they, archer they show- riding on a giant warg or whatever. Yeah, they've shown the mounts before the, the initial trailer uh, announcement for it, but I don't know. I don't know if they announced that like they had dismount skills. Like they really showcased it with the Rogue. Like she has all sorts of like skills she can initiate as she's like. Uh, Dismounting the horse, like like uh, like jumping up into the air and like unleashing like an arrow storm or whatever. As she dismounts, I think, I think they've shown that before, but like the other characters, I'm not too sure. But yeah, they, they did use the phrase, and I kind of I didn't wince. That's too dramatic, but I kind of like perked up when they said we'll have horse armor. And I don't know if that like betrays my age. <laughs> because yeah. like, oh, horse armor, huh? Uh, so, but in anyways, they'll have some sort of like uh, some sort of like gear tie-in or some sort of progression with the mounts as well, whether it's armor, some sort of skill-based things. But it seems like they've really thought really thorough about how to make that kind of like another like you'll you'll upgrade obviously your own character gear and abilities, but then you'll also have your mounts as like a parallel progression path. So that seems pretty cool to me. Yeah, I mean it, it's 
it's still far off though. Diablo. Yeah, 4. yeah, yeah. They said it's not coming this year, basically. Yeah. So I think that the the big Diablo efforts this year is the Diablo Two Resurrected, which is, you know, take all the time you need with Diablo Four to make it good. That's that's all I can all we can really hope for. Try to you know, obviously avoid like the the big blunders that Diablo Three had at launch and you know had for the remainder of its lifespan, and. Hopefully, hopefully it gets there. I'm, I'm really curious to see where Diablo Four will land. Um, but I'll I'll play I'll play Diablo Two Res- Resurrected for sure. I mean, yeah, I will probably play both of these. Yep. Yep. And then we have a few other just tiny little notes at the end here. Just a couple other things that were mentioned throughout the week. Uh, New World, which is the Amazon MMO that has been delayed two times, has had another release date like a slip. Well, I say that, but it didn't really have like a sket- a set release date. I think it was I think it had like fallen to a nebulous summer of this year. Uh or oh, sorry, spring window of this year. Well, now it's slated for August 31st. So, that's like the third or fourth release date that this game has had. Um they did show up a new trailer showing off some new features of the game, including a new region uh called Evanscale Reach. They talked a little bit about like instance content, which are called expeditions, little five-man dungeon type areas, and a PvP mode called Outpush Outpost Rush. So for those that are really like on the ball for this game, like there's just some like little more tidbits to like dig into, some new gameplay footage. I'm kind of excited at this game just because like MMO launches are always kind of like spectacles, whether good or bad. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, there will also be a um a closed beta starting on July 20th. There is also an alpha going on right now, and I actually wasn't aware of this at the time this news came out. Uh, there are alphas, like people have been playing and giving feedback since the preview event last August, but you have to be invited to get to that. You go to the website and you say, like, I'm interested, and you got to wait for the fight. I don't know how they decide that. Uh, but yeah, August 31st is the new date for New World. I, oh. I think Amazon kind of needs a hit sort of thing yeah. because... Oh. The last thing they uh, need, I guess, for this to end up like Crucible, man, because the, this yeah, just... Crucible crash and burned, Breakaway got delisted or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh... I don't know what Amazon's working on other than this and the Lord of the Rings MMO. It just seems weird, like that they're just like going gung ho into probably what is the most difficult, tenacious, volatile type of game. Like, like they're just like go big or go home right from the outset. Well, I say that, but like, I say that's a discarding crucible trying but to go I'm, for the hero yeah, shooter. I'm scared for New World because, like, if it, it let's say, okay, it it comes out, maybe it's not as big as a hit as they want it to be, or maybe that maybe it is a hit now, but then down the line, down the pipeline, two to three years from now, it's not doing well. Like, I don't know how how trustworthy Amazon is to to keep this game alive. You saw what they did with Crucible. Just like yeah. they didn't give any chance left. They're like, nah, we're done. Like, I don't, it's, it's kind of scary. Yeah, because that's one thing. Like, yeah, even if this is a game that people are supposed to play for years and they couldn't, and like most MMO launches are rough in one way or the other. I don't think there exists a smooth MMO launch. And if it does, it's probably like a paired back MMO with like a pretty limited scope from the outset deliberately. So if they if they gave up on Crucible within a couple months, like how how big of a splash success does this need to be out of the gate before they before we know we can put our trust behind it fully? So yeah, I didn't really thought about it like that. But that's a good point. 
from what I played of the uh, preview last August, I thought uh, my main takeaway is that it is very pretty. I guess when most of the MMOs on the market nowadays are five, six, seven, or in WoW's case, 14 years old or whatever, or more than that, maybe. Uh, it is weird to play a game in a similar style made like in this decade. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was a very pretty game. I didn't put enough time into it to really give like, like an enlightened take about like how the combat feels uh, or how like the quest design worked. But I thought it was, I thought it was like, uh, I was pretty positive on the preview, but I only put like two hours into it. So for an like MMO, it. that's like the thing. So people seem to really take to it. Yeah, it, it did pretty well on Twitch for the week that it was like a preview. Though some people are going to say, "Well, it's just because Twitch is Amazon." I'm like, oh, you know, can't argue against that. That is that is true. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, people seem to really jive with it, with the understanding that at the time it was a work in progress and incomplete, or whatever. But I'm eager to at least witness whatever happens in August. And then lastly, we got a sales update for a game that came out in 2019. Tales of Vesperia Definitive Edition has sold over 1 million copies. It's kind of weird because I look at this and I'm of two minds. I'm like, man, I, this game took a while to sell a million, didn't it? Because, you know, a couple of years ago now, over two years ago at this point. But I also remember the time when Tales games hitting 300,000 was a milestone. So I'm kind of of two minds. Like, all right, 1 million. That's still a, uh, that's still a pretty good success for this game. And it's a remaster, so... This must have been like it, it, it. I imagine the shattered expectations, like behind the scenes. I don't think they expected it to do this well, did it? Did they? Uh, I, I don't want to say for cer certain because I don't know for certain. But uh, the last that we had heard is that it had sold five hundred thousand copies within like a month. So it kind of trickled its way to one million. But hey, those those sales still count. So one million for Tales of Vesperia, definitive edition. And then the 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 promise is ah yes we will make another tales game tales of a <laughs> like, we okay. will see yeah we will see you again at some point I hope tales of arise when do you think we have you uh, we have you in the site banner yeah so we're hoping for you this year otherwise it was also in our site banner last year so what is what is keep like rotating it through until it uh, comes out or. Uh, goes into vaporware, I suppose. What yeah, do you think is the, is the next time we can hear about Arise, realistically? This is a totally a safe guess, but I think we'll see a trailer at some point this summer, whether it's in like an online E3 thing or a summer fest or an IGN thing or you know whoever knows. We don't know what this summer is going to look like. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think at some event this summer, where trailers are published out, we'll see it. All right, and that it covers. Yeah, that covers all of the uh, news that I had listed for the week. Obviously, a lot to talk about because of Nintendo Direct. Thank you for the first Direct in over a year and a half, or a year and a half. So, uh, we'll catch you next time in 2023 <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, um, that the, they'll announce Caligula Effect Three. Yes. Okay. Or uh, finally, we'll finally see a trailer for Breath of the Wild 2. <laughs> no, they'll be like, ah, oh, sorry again. We're, we're inching a little bit closer. We're almost there, guys. But uh, here, have um, Majora's Mask 3D. I would take a, I would take a uh, release of the Oracle games. I would actually like be really pumped for that. They'd say, here's uh, Oracle of Ages. Uh, 
well, what did they call Link's Awakening HD? Is it just Link's Awakening Remastered? Just, yeah, just Link's Awakening. All right, so no fancy title. So just give me re-release Oracle of Ages. And Oracle of Seasons. Seasons, yeah. And do the, uh, wasn't, there, wasn't there originally like, scoped out to be a third game? Yeah. Future but... chance, Nintendo. Do it. I'll take that over Breath of the Wild. Oh, they're uh, they're like yeah, just for just for you, Brian. We'll make Zelda Two: The Adventures of Link uh, like FF Seven remake. Yes, then- that's exactly that's exactly what I want. <laughs> no, but uh, thank you for joining us. As always, uh, you can go visit our website rpgsite.net to read all the news that we had just talked about and discussed over this podcast. You can visit this. You can listen to old episodes of this podcast on. Uh, most of the major podcast hosts, you know, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on iTunes, we're even on YouTube. You can always visit our Twitter page and follow us at RPG Site. We're on Facebook and YouTube at RPG Site Net. And we're also on Instagram at RPG Site. But other than that, you'll hear from us next week. So until then, take care, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Shoutouts to Caligula fans.